Welcome to The Logbook. I'm your host, Lucas Weekly. This episode is supported by you, the listeners, through Patreon. Head over to thelogbookpodcast.com for more information. In this episode, we hear about a crash landing after takeoff, the Stearman ride of a lifetime, and this first story about an emergency landing on a busy road. For the first three or four years of marriage, I hardly got out to the airport. We, we made a deal, but this happened back in 75, so I guess it wasn't four years. Anyway, the deal was that I could have all day Saturday to do whatever I wanted out at the airport. That was my day for flying. The airport was almost an hour's drive out to New Jersey. The deal was that I'd be back home six o'clock in the evening. And if I wasn't going to be home six o'clock, I would call her and tell her, you know, be home in half an hour, 20 minutes, whatever it was. No cell phones then, so you had to go pull off the road someplace and find a phone and make a phone call. Not so easy. Anyway, there's one Saturday, I was meeting a buddy of mine out at the airport to fly out to another place to pick up his airplane, which is out for repairs. We had bad weather, had storms all week, and a lot of New Jersey was flooded. So we got to the airport. We, we couldn't get in where we had to go to get his airplane. So we jumped into a third buddy's airplane, also a Skyhawk, and uh, decided to go check out the flood damages along the mountain ridges up there in New Jersey, where we were based. So we fly on out, right dumb and happy, three pilots on board an airplane, Going over the mountain river about 10 minutes out, maybe 15 minutes. And at about 1,500 feet, started having some power loss. Pilot was his airplane. I was in the back seat. He said, whoa, no oil pressure. So we make a 180-degree turn, start heading back over the ridge, heading out to the nearest highway. Because there was no place to put an airplane down up in this wilderness we were over. Anyway, we make this turn, and he throttles back the power some, no oil pressure, but the engine's running. We're having this very slow glide going back towards the highway. We reach the highway, which was 287 in New Jersey, and it's a six-lane highway, three lanes each direction, and a divided that was really a big retention pond. And we just turned down the highway to 600 feet, when all of a sudden, bang, bang, engine blew, the propeller stopped still. Now what do you do? You gotta rush hour traffic, bumper to bumper, both directions on that highway. And now where do you park the airplane? <laughs> so we just started settling down on top of the traffic. And ironically, at a certain point, because we started out at 600 feet, so people in the cars can see the airplane there. And we're coming down. So the whole highway stopped. Looking out the back window of the Cessna, you see all the traffic stopped behind us. So that's good. Now at least we notice traffic under us, and but behind we, but we don't have to worry about them coming up upon us. So we just don't know what's going to be under us when we're touching down. But ironically, traffic got faster than we were landing. So traffic under us pulled ahead of us. So guess what we had? An open highway to land on. And when we sat down and finally pulled to the side, it was actually an extra lane because it was a turn lane that led off to Rutgers University in New Jersey. So we took up two lanes with the airplane, blocked them off, and put the traffic at two lanes to keep on going. We finally get to a stop, and there's a trucker that pulls up behind us and blocks the roadway so the 
traffic will stay away from us. And he gets out and comes over. And he says he saw us in the rear room mirror, so he slowed down because he knew, you know, speed patrol. But he says, but then he saw the propeller stop. <laughs> so he knew we were in trouble. So he stopped behind us and he blocked the traffic and he had a two-way radio. No cell phones back then, remember. And uh, he called the highway patrol and they came out. And we had to just sit in the airplane. And they let the pilot only could leave the airplane. And he went into the station house to make the report. And we stayed with it until they came back to move the plane off the route. So I told Doug, give Irma a call and tell her, you know, tell her what's going on. I'm going to be late. Because this was already like 5 o'clock after 5 o'clock. I should have been on my way home. So he gives Irma a call and says, Irma, Ralph's stuck in traffic. He told me to call. He's going to be late. And little did I know what he had said. When I get home, Irma has no idea what happened. I'm all excited explaining this to her. And she nearly died. <laughs> it was quite a shock. So anyway, I had to stay with the airplane until they came and got it off. And they actually pulled it into the divide and left a guard there overnight. The following day, uh, took the wings off and hauled the tail end in the back of a station wagon and hauled it back to the airport, which was about a 10-minute drive from that point, I guess, 15 minutes. Wasn't bad. So anyway, we made the local papers landing on the highway. <laughs> and what had actually happened, the airplane just came out of 100-hour inspection. It was a new plane, only had 400 hours on it. And the mechanic working on it never tightened the oil temp sending fitting. So after about 20 minutes of flying, we pumped all the oil out of the engine. And so it cost the FBO there a new engine for this airplane. <laughs> but all's well at ends well. Oh, I'm an airplane on the highway And I feel so strange Yeah, I'm an airplane on the highway A highway can be a great place to make an emergency landing because it's a large, flat stretch of pavement and if there isn't much traffic, it's pretty easy to land on. Because of this, there have been many emergency landings on major roads, so it's not surprising that I couldn't find the local news article mentioned in the story. However, I did link some of these other instances of emergency landings in the show notes. Next, we'll hear about another emergency landing, but one with a much more abrupt ending. That's why I'm singing this song. I got no if it's true. They say there was airplanes that in the sky flew. I'm a airplane on the highway. Irma had sold her brand new car to buy me a little airplane with one seat and two wings that I could flip-flop with. And uh, so I have myself a little aerobatic airplane now. And I got an active in an aerobatic club, which we started in 1977. 78, I was president. So somewhere around 78, 79 that this happened. Coming back from a meeting from Red Lion Airport back to Copper Airport, New Jersey. And I was flying at 1,000 feet. had a higher overcast. It wasn't a nice day. And all of a sudden, I smelled smoke open cockpit, which often you smell smoke or something burning down below, you'll get a whiff of it. Anyway, at the same time I'm looking around, I don't see any smoke, but all of a sudden a whiff of smoke came between my legs under the instrument panel. I said, whoa, not good. <laughs> so I was flying right alongside Princeton University, which has this beautiful runway and lots and lots of grass all around us. So I went down and I landed, check out my airplane, see what's going on. 
And the guy who ran the flight school there was out running, so he came over to me, and the two of us looking around the airplane found nothing. Guess we didn't look too good, because there was something. Anyway, I figured it was just the radio might have been smoking and doing something, so once the engine started, I shut everything off. Once the engine started, just running on the magneto, shut everything electrical off, and uh, it was fine. So I take off, and only five-minute flight from my own airport, and I took off and got about... Oh, about 400 feet in the air, pretty close to the end of the runway, and all of a sudden I was engulfed in smoke. Panic, right? No. Anyway, the rule is if you got to go down after takeoff, no more than 30 degree either way, and land down. Well, 30 degrees, 180 degrees in any direction straight ahead was trees and more trees. So I'm the great aerobatic pilot now, so I can make a U-turn and come on back. I chopped power. That's the first thing. It was chopped power before I even thought about it. Chopped power and dropped the nose. Okay. And now it's all trees. But I had 80 mile an hour airspeed, which is good. Except when you make a steep turn at 80 mile an hour, all of a sudden, those wings don't give you lift anymore. And I went to straighten out to land back on the runway or alongside of it. And the plane just kept going. Input was nothing. So here I am in a stall spin from 400 feet. What do you do? Normal pilots pull back and try and get the plane back up in the air, but that's the wrong thing. But with all your aerobatic flying, whenever you go into a spin, you do it on purpose. You know just how to come out. So full power and shove that stick forward. And just aim straight for the ground. But before hitting it, make sure you pull out. And I did, and I hit hard, I broke my landing gear, but that was all the damage I did. So I pushed the airplane aside, and this fellow and myself, we look, and what had happened, an exhaust stack had broken off. So the hot exhaust was shooting into the firewall, behind the firewall was a wooden floorboard, and that's where my smoke came from. Now when the smoke hit me, if I had throttled back, I'd have been in flames, I wouldn't be here today. But throttling it back, cooled it off because the floorboards that were all burnt and charred when I took the airplane apart. I survived that and left the plane there. I started walking down a road. A highway patrolman gave me a lift back to my airport. I went on home. And when I got home, I rang the doorbell. I was on time. Maybe before, but anyway, I rang the doorbell. And I never rang the doorbell. I used to go in the house. And Irma opens the door and looks, and all I could do was say I broke it. I'm going to say the shock this whole time. And it was only the following morning when I realized what actually transpired. Because from the time that smoke hit me until I was on the ground and stopped, it was probably no more than 45 seconds. In that time, I chopped power, dumped the nose, turned around, ended up in a spin, finished the spin with full power down, stick back, and there I was with a broken airplane. But it took a while to recover from that. And the scariest part was when I first flew again after that. I still had my Skyhawk then. And uh, even just taking off in the Skyhawk, very, very nervous. But I overcame that pretty fast. It took me nine months to repair my airplane. But I got back to acrobatics.
Backing up a little bit, our storyteller so far had a chance to share his developing acrobatic skills with his girlfriend at the time. And this is how it went, and how she caught the aviation bug that we'll hear about later. And then in 1974, 73, 73, I guess, when I got hooked on acrobatics, we got an aerobat at the airport, and I started taking acrobatic lessons. Now, this is what I wanted to do with an airplane, play with it. Okay, but while I was training on our first date in the Skyhawk, I put her in a spin. I asked her first. So I said, sure, let's spin it. What did I know, spin? Next thing I know, I'm doing this. I'm looking at the world from an unusual attitude, and it was actually quite fun. So I enjoyed that. And when he finished his uh, aerobatic training that same year, I got a chance to fly in a... um, Cessna 150 Aerobat. When I finished my last lesson, Irma was sitting on the fence. The instructor jumps out, takes his parachute off, and calls Irma over. And I'm thinking, well, what's going on? Does he want me just to congratulate Ralphie? I'm going to do that. Next thing I know, he says, oh, you want to go for a ride with Ralphie? I went, oh, sure. So off we go. Much tighter quarters. All of a sudden, uh, I had, you know, a lot more... uh, stuff tying me in, in terms of seatbelts and harnesses, than I had before. So I knew something more was going to happen. And we did loops and spins and rolls. And it was really, really a great experience. So Irma became my first aerobatic passenger. I got more and more interested in aerobatics. And we joined an IAC, uh, Chapter 94. And it was at that time, Ralphie met a guy named Bill. And he was working at Van Sant Airport. He worked for the FBO. And apparently he had access to a steerman. Well, a steerman happens to be my favorite airplane in the whole wide world. I mean, I, when I see one, I flutter. My, I'm, I get all jittery and get all excited. And I think, oh, gosh, I wish I could get a ride in that. Well... Ralphie arranged for Bill to take me on an aerobatic ride. One, because it was my favorite airplane, and two, because he knew I wouldn't be afraid of an aerobatic flight. So off we go to Van Sant Airport. I'm all excited. I'm meeting Bill for the first time. I'd heard about him. I heard he was a great pilot. Never, you know, never thought anything more of it. Ralphie's got me this great ride. Let's go. So I get out of the car And there she is on the runway, this beautiful blue fuselage with its bi wings, yellow, bright yellow, and this big open cockpit, and I can't wait to get in. So I'm already at the airplane just waiting for Bill, and I'm anxious to meet him for the first time because I've heard so much about him. And all of a sudden, I see this man coming toward me, and He's got a chute on, and he's carrying another parachute. And I'm thinking, okay, that must be Bill. And then I take another look, and I'm thinking, there's something wrong, but I can't exactly tell what it is. And then finally I realized this Bill, who has these two parachutes, that is the man that's going to give me an aerobatic ride, has no arm from his elbow down. And it looks like there's something wrong with his hand. And my God, 
He's limping. I said, this can't be the man that I'm going to take a flight with. And I'm thinking, don't look, don't look, don't look. It can't be, it can't be. But he keeps coming closer, and now I know it is Bill. So I'm thinking to myself, Irma, get a grip, put your big girl pants on. Your, your Ralphie would not put you in an airplane that was unsafe, and he's not going to put you in an airplane with somebody that can't fly the airplane. So your dream has come true. Here's the steerman. Here's the pilot. Enjoy it. So I'm ready to do it. I introduced myself. Of course, he knew who I was. I knew who he was. So we just passed pleasantries, and he said, are you ready for a ride? I said, absolutely. So we get my parachute on and getting ready to get in the airplane, and he said, Erm, I really do have to tell you one thing for safety reasons before we take our flight. And I said, oh, what is that, Bill? And I'm thinking he's going to tell me that, you know, I might be a little off-putting, but trust me, you're going to have a safe flight. Never mentions that. He simply says, if we have any problem in the air, which I don't anticipate, I'm going to simply tap you on the shoulder. I'm going to roll the airplane upside down, unloosen your harnesses, and just let yourself out. Parachute open. We'll be fine. Plane will be smushed, but you and I... We'll be having a party afterwards, so don't worry about it. I don't know what frightened me more. The fact he wasn't kidding me. I said, Bill, I, I, I can't jump out of the airplane. I can't just pull my harness off and you turn this airplane upside down. And with the straightest face and the most calm tone, he said, Irma, if we have a problem with the airplane, I'm going to tap you on the shoulder I'm going to turn the plane upside down, and I am going to release my harness. I am going to be out of the airplane. Now, you'll have a choice. You'll either join me, or you and the airplane are going to see the ground come up really quick. I was, oh, oh, what have I gotten myself into? And I just said again, this is supposed to be fun. Okay, Bill, I trust you. Let's go. Well, I was never, ever sorry I said it that day, and I'm not sorry to this day. It was the most wonderful experience I ever had. I loved it. I loved the airplane. I loved doing loops and rolls and seeing the sky all of a sudden look like where the ground is and the ground where the sky was. And the way he explained every maneuver, talked me through everything, wanted me to have such a great experience, and I did. I think it took me years later to really appreciate the gifts that I got that day. One was the gift of a great flight. But the other gift I think Bill gave me was to understand that limitations really don't have to mean a big deal. It's just a word. I thought I was going to have a problem with Bill that day. But the truth of the matter was, I was the problem. Because when I looked at him, I put limitations on him just because of the way he looked. So for me, that was an extra bonus gift that I've carried through my, my whole life, trying not to tell people what they can't do, but to explain to them 
that anything is not impossible if you want to really do it. And it served me well. And I thank Bill many, many times over the years for that life lesson. Well, actually, the story doesn't really end. The joy keeps, it's, you know, it's like airplanes and aviation is like the joy that keeps on giving, the gift that keeps on giving, because we had a Young Eagles program at Dunellen, and there were these three boys waiting to get their flights, and they all wanted to be together because they were a little nervous, and I could see that. So I was trying to reassure them uh, that, you know, it was going to be a wonderful experience for them. And they had an opportunity to get a steerman ride because one of the guys, a guy by the name of Stan Berry, brought his steerman there. And I said, you guys don't realize that this is a wonderful experience. Yes, you're going to have to split up because it can only take one of you at a time, but you will never forget this. And I related to them my steerman story. Well, when Stan finished flying those three kids... What I didn't realize was when I was talking to these three little boys, there was a man standing behind me who was a friend of Stan Berry, the man that owned the steerman. And apparently he had talked to Stan, and Stan said, if this lady likes the airplane and she wants a ride, I'll give her a ride. Well, when that man offered that ride to me, you would have thought someone gave me a million dollars. I was running to the airplane, putting the goggles and helmet on. I was in that airplane so fast, I didn't think I could get my little fat body moving as much as I moved that day. I was in there, and I was squealing, and I was telling this guy how much I love his airplane, and I, I was stroking every part that I could touch. I'm sure he was saying, Oh my God, I got a wild one here. Well, the next thing you know, we're off, and he took me for a half an hour ride. I loved it. I loved it. And during our conversation, he was telling me that his wife doesn't particularly fly with him. So I said, well, you just give her my telephone number, and I'll tell her what she's missing. So I guess what I have to say is aviation just... It's, a, it's almost like a little opiate. Once you get a little taste of that wonderful feeling, you don't want it to stop. And I've been very blessed uh, to have met people that have been very caring, um, very generous with their time and what they have. And they've given me some really great aviation experiences. So I'm going to say this is the end of my story, but gosh... I know it's not the end of my aviation stories in general. They're going to come because as long as i am got breath in me, if somebody says, want to ride? This gal's getting in the, in the seat and ready to go. Ralph and Irma Savexen live at Leeward Air Ranch. There, they enjoy Ralph's 1946 Aronka Champ, which he refurbished to original condition from literally a box of parts. Irma volunteers at her local soup kitchen and at the Santos and Bellevue Elementary Schools. Ralph works as a handyman at the Surgery Center of Ocala, and when he's not working, he spends time with his wife, his airplane, his cars, and volunteers at many local aviation events. More information and pictures related to these stories can be found in the article at thelogbookpodcast.com. Special thanks goes out to Bob Wiseman for giving us permission to use his song, Airplane on a Highway, 
You can find a link to more of his music on our website. And to Megan Brock, our recording and interviewing assistant. This episode was supported directly by your donations. If you enjoy the show, you can support its production by becoming a patron. Through Patreon, you set a donation level that is given every time a new episode is released, and you can always set a monthly limit so you don't go over your budget. Depending on the amount donated, you are granted access to different rewards that are as simple as hearing a sneak preview to the next episode, all the way up to exclusive content that didn't make it into the show. Any amount is helpful, and the more that's donated, the more the show can improve. Head over to our website, thelogbookpodcast.com, and click on the Patreon banner at the side of the page to start supporting. If you have a story about anything in aviation, we would love to hear it, and it may even become an episode of The Logbook. You can send us an email by using the contact page on our website. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you come back for the next entry in The Logbook. <laughs>